Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. I'm here in the back house. It's raining. Water is falling from the sky. We want our money back. What is this? And I am here with beloved friend, Josh Radner. Welcome, my good man. Thanks, Rob. You may know Josh as one half of the band Radner and Lee. <laughs> I love that's what you lead that's with. That's always what I lead with. Yeah. The uh, playwright, actor, um, writer, director, star of the movie Liberal Arts, and thank happy you. Happy thank you more, please. Happy thank you more, please. Yeah. You may know Josh from the NBC in its second or third, we're in the second week of the NBC show Rise. Yeah. Or you may know Josh from a show called How I Met Your Mother. And so you may know him from all those different, one of those different things, or all those different things. But probably Radner and Lee. <laughs> but probably <laughs> Radner and Lee. Um, and Chris and I just adore Josh, and we have we have had an endless conversation now for a while. It just feels like a conversation that just keeps going. We like just there's pick no up. beginning and end, right? right? Like it just is like a flowing river that we absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. So we just sort of pick up where we left off. But the other day we had this idea for a podcast where Josh would bring his favorite quotes because we're always talking about the spiritual life, depth, meaning, significance. We want the juice. We want the thing. Um, and. He was like, well, I, I sh- we should do one with all my favorite quotes. And I was like, that is an episode. So he's going to give... I have too many, by the way. You have them printed there. <laughs> look how seriously I took this. But look at my printer's like a homework kind of, assignment. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I know a lot of these, but I'll have to... If I would have met you in your early 20s, would you have had quotes on the tip of your tongue? Yeah, I've always been like a lover of quotes, and mm-hmm. I have weird recall. Like, I can remember, if something lands on me, like if it penetrates, I, mm-hmm. it's with me almost forever. Can you, can you think of a quote that hit you early on that you still carry with you? Well, I mean, certain things my dad said to me. Oh, yeah, probably. I got a bunch of those. Like, what did your dad say to you? I remember him saying, character doesn't count in the short term, it counts in the long term. Ooh, that's a good dad one. That really landed on me. My dad had one, the greatest gift you can give yourself is to find work that you love. Mm. That's always used to say. He's like, I never woke up in the morning and didn't want to go to work. Wow. What'd your dad do? Judge. Really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like a like a circuit judge? He was a like district a... judge. Yeah. Then he was a circuit judge, which he ran for office in 78. So I remember that campaign. And then in 87, Ronald Reagan appointed him to the federal Wow. US Is that a lifetime federal appointment? Judge. Federal. Yes. Yeah. That's, isn't that interesting? We, we both grew up with, with lawyer, lawyer, judge dads. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 My, yeah, my dad, he was never a judge. He never wanted to be, but he also taught law school at Ohio State. He taught one, one semester a year. Law, ben, law, fathers who were in law who gave us those quotes that were still... Well, this is one. This is, the, this is great. This, this is either Thomas Jefferson or Ben Franklin. I think it's Thomas, Thomas Jefferson, where he said... We are merchants. Something I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin this. We are merchants and and salesmen, so our children can be lawyers and politicians, so their children can be artists. Wow! No way! Yeah, and my fa- my grandfather sold Chevrolets for like thirty or forty years. Yeah. He was a car salesman. Yeah, my father was a lawyer, and I do what I do. So I was I'm, just going to say, and we do what we do. Yeah, and I'm in that, I'm squarely in that tradition, which I really love. Yes. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. We could do a whole episode on wisdom from our fathers. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. <laughs> I was in Hawaii with my friend Trent, and he, we had this moment of like grievance about how we grew up, and then for some reason he said, let's just, let's just list all the great things we got from our dad, from our dads. And we drove home. We had like a 20-minute drive home from the restaurant. We called it Daditude. And we just, we just listed. And we, it was endless. Like, we couldn't stop listing all the great things. We, because, you know, it's where you put your head, right? Like, we just started to think about all the great things our dad had. And it was stuff we hadn't considered in years. Yeah, you know? right, 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 right. Even when you said that, I pictured we were at the breakfast table. We lived on a small farm until I was 14, mm -hmm. and we were at the breakfast table one morning, and way down the lane in front of the barn, a pheasant came across, like a good 75 yards, 100 yards away. And my dad got up from the table eating breakfast and went up to his room, to his closet, and got a shotgun, <laughs> came down, <laughs> stepped out into the front porch just past the breakfast table, shot the pheasant, set the gun down in the corner, and sat back down and kept eating his breakfast. I can assure you that that did not happen in my house. <laughs> but it's that funny. is where we diverge. <laughs> but years later, when I think about it, I don't know how I feel about shooting a fence, shooting a pheasant from your front porch. But I do remember if you do something really bold and yeah. strong, whatever you do, don't comment. <laughs> just put it. Just start. There's like an element of performance art to it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That I've tried to carry with me every once in a while. If you do something like. Whatever you do, don't just say, hey, did you guys see what I did? That's, just, that's a great scene for a movie. I'm gonna, isn't that a I might, great scene? I might take that. You can take that. That's great. I saw him do a number of things like that where he it was a man. Yeah. Okay, so now yeah. we'll save that for another, for a recurring yeah. Robcast visit. L give me some of your quotes. Because I love how you're always reading and mentioning things from a wide, that's one of the things why I think we we enjoy our endless ongoing conversation is we're constantly fascinated with all that's happening around us that we're picking up. Mm -hmm. It's like similar radar mm -hmm. systems or something. So what do you got on, the, yeah. on your sheet of paper there? Well, as a joke, I wrote this, uh, to start with this Ralph Waldo Emerson quote, I hate quotations, tell me what you know, which I thought was funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, the first two I wrote were, I love both of these, and they're similar. They're, they're a similar vibe, and they're just saying the same thing from a different angle. The first is a Chinese proverb, better to light a candle than to curse the darkness, mm -hmm. which I love. And the other one is from our beloved friend, Richard Rohr. And this is, this is actually a motto of the CAC, the Center for Action and Contemplation, which says, mm -hmm. the best criticism of the bad is the practice of the better. Oh, there you go. Right. There you go. I just like, you know, there's such a tendency in our culture today to point to the bad and point to the bad and scream yes. about the bad and rail against the bad yes. and be angry about the bad. And it feels, you know that thing that um, they say the person who, the, the candidate who gets the most press coverage, good or bad, tends to win. It doesn't matter if they're getting favorable coverage. It's like the, the one we're most outraged about and the one that's the most polarizing tends to win. And I feel there's got to be another way, right? Yes. Rather than just standing up and saying, this is rotten, this is horrible. Yes. Um, cursing the darkness, which is what I think a lot of social media is about cursing the darkness. Yes. And I have, like, I've got political opinions out the wazoo. I just don't <laughs> tweet about them. Because I feel like people, which is so many people are on the case. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. But if, I, but if I, I get a great quote, or if I feel that there's something nourishing to share, 
or something that lights a candle, I just feel like however modest an offering, that feels to me like in some small way revolutionary in this time. Absolutely. And with um, the amount of people who are, and deconstructing suddenly became a very inward, whether it's religion or politics or entertainment or social media, whatever it is, I'm noticing, even in the past five years, going out and touring and listening to people's questions, so many people are realizing that deconstruction is absolutely important, like this thing they were handed that didn't work, but then at some point, everything shifts to, so what are you going to make? Right. So what are you going to give yourself to? Right. Um, it's always going to lead to, then what? And I, I've always thought that about modern art, which is, you know, that the, the kind of modern art that, I, I always think it's like, it's like post-war, post-Holocaust, post-nuclear modern art, which is like, like everything splattered on the canvas. Yes. But then at a certain point, it's like, okay, we get it. Everything is in shambles, but like, how do we reconstruct? How do we rebuild? It's kind of what Richard Rohr talks about that. um, I think he calls it reconstruction. You know, it's, it's alchemy, right? It's the, 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 the formula of alchemy is pull apart each part, purify each part and then recombine. And I feel like we get stuck on the pull everything apart. Yeah. You know, what? It, like, what's the third act? Like, how do we pull everything together? Yes. You know? Yes. Because the people that we find most interesting, you can gather incredible amount of energy if you and somebody else are taking something apart. There can be this incredible galvanizing. If you're both throwing rocks at the same bus, there can right. be this incredible solidarity. Right. But once the bus passes, or the people who drive the bus decide to change their policy, and now you're both not angry about that, or right. then what? Right. So there's all this energy around that, but it's not the kind of fuel that can get you very far down the road. Wow, my friend John just this morning told me, he read me this passage that said, love and hate are very similar because they both rely upon an object of of adoration and fascination. Like you need another thing to kind of obsess over. Yes. And if that thing leaves, what are you going to do? I just read this thing that, you know, um, people are lost because they don't have Hillary Clinton as a target anymore. (laughs) Like, what do we do? What do we do without Hillary? Like, who do we blame for everything? Yeah, right, right. You who know? do we put all the stuff inside of us on? Yeah, and they're lost. Uh, like, the, you know, it's, it's, uh, I thought that was so funny and <laughs> horribly sad all at the same time. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Okay. Um, I went through a period of, like, really deep grief about a year ago, which was sparked by something kind of, I mean, it was sparked by whatever. It was like a treble that led to bass. Like, mm-hmm. the, like it was like... Um, that's a Rob Bell quote for those of you who don't know. <laughs> Too much trouble, not enough bass, which I think about a lot. But it was one of those things that the amount of grief I felt was so outsized for what the inciting incident was uh, that I realized that some... The it grief was, almost, was about other grief. Yeah, I almost real, I, it almost felt like... It almost feels like the universe or spirit or whatever you want to call it sees an opening. So it's like, hey, you got a lot of unshed tears. You got a, like, we're going to use this moment to like bring this out of you. And a fr- in the midst of it, a friend sent me this quote from the Baal Shem Tov. Do you know the Baal Shem Tov? Yes. Um, Let me fall if I must fall. The one I am becoming will catch me. Oh, have you heard that? That. Isn't that great? <laughs> no, I have not heard that. Because I... Wait, let me fall? Let me fall if I must fall. The one I am becoming will catch me. <sighs> Uh, it's like that moment when the current arrangement is no longer working and I have to let go of it. And only when I let go of it will the new thing ar- arise. Yeah. 
It also feels to me like there are different levels to our consciousness, like almost like different beings operating at different moments. Sure. They're all us. Sure. So I'm in the ah, struggle, I'm hungry, I'm angry, I'm whatever, you know, is kind of currently hijacking my consciousness. But there's this other part of me that's much more evolved, much more wise, that's immortal, eternal. It's always been here. Indestructible. It's, it's just me. It's indestructible. Infinite. Mm-hmm. infinite. And it's going, hey, relax. I got you. You know, like, yes. like fall into my arms. You're going to be fine. And yeah. it's, me, it's like me catching me. It's, it's fascinating. Yes. I, yeah. Which is the power, the power of the non-judgmental observance is you're just, you are not your thoughts. Right. So you just witness to them. It's the witness catching the, the you, neurotic. <laughs> you witness to them long enough. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm angry. Oh, look, I'm furious. Oh, look, I'm happy. Or even the extension is, there is anger. There or, is anger. There oh, look, is there it is. hunger. And then at some point Not, you ask. I am angry or I am hungry. Right. That's where it overtakes our face and convinces us it's us. And then at some point you start asking, well, who is doing this observing? Right. Apparently there is some me that isn't enslaved Wow! To whatever yeah. the thought or the feeling or the emotion. Of the I didn't write is. this one down, but in Mere Christianity, I love um, C.S. Lewis talks about when he was an atheist, he would always rail against, you know, he said, if there's a God, why is the world such a mess? And then one day he asked himself, wait, how do I know the world is a mess? Yes. Like what part of me knows this is off? Yes. And then he started to pay attention to the part of him that had some sense of, he said, you don't know what a crooked line is unless you have some sense of a straight line. And where did you get that? Where did I get that? Mm-hmm. What is that? Where is, who is that? What is that in me that knows this is off? Doesn't he have a great line in there about a prisoner who's committed some horrible crime, but he's in prison and someone steals his food and he's like, you shouldn't do that. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where did you get them? I was so moved by that book. Why? Mere Christianity. Because... You know, I was raised Jewish, and it was a little bit verboten to dip into Christian theology just because it was like, that wasn't ours, you know? Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, everyone's got their tribal mm-hmm. guard, the, guard the walls. And I... Did you grow up... When you grew up Jewish, did you grow up passing books around, and were there current... Oh, my house was filled with books. Current Jewish writers talking about uh, faith? A lot of the books that you had in the bibliography <laughs> of what is the Bible... Oh, yeah. My dad has those books. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. My dad got, like, he taught himself biblical Hebrew. Like, he's he's quite got scholarly. It. He he yeah. enjoys that stuff. Textual, you know, deep, yeah. old time. Was he stuff. talking about the Hebrew scriptures when you were growing up? Well, I no, not as much because I went to a Hebrew, an Orthodox Hebrew day school. Oh, yeah, so, that's right. So, I was, my youth was steeped in that stuff. Yep. Um, which is where I think I got a love of story. Like, I loved those old stories. Uh, I loved David and Moses and... Yeah. Um, you know, Abraham, Isaac, they, they just landed on me. There was yeah. something, they still, I, I don't know, like the idea of Moses in front of the burning bush still sends shivers up my yes. spine, you know, that that kind of divine connection. Oh, interesting. Um, whether it's metaphoric or literal doesn't even matter, really, and you talk a lot about it's that. It's interesting that we both grew up in settings where the institution and all that wasn't, it was the, the actual stories gripped us. Yeah. At some deep level. Yeah. So where the faith is headed and what is the mod- uh, whatever all I know is this over here these stories yeah. ring true at some deep level yeah yeah I found when I started re- when I read C.S. Lewis and I went through quite a period and in that moment in that hard time a year ago I read A Grief Observed which mm-hmm. is terrific but mm-hmm. you know dealing him dealing with the death of his wife and um, I just I you know I got a hunger for other traditions and mm-hmm. other ways of looking at the elephant you know. Yeah. And um, I just think they're valuable. I also think Absolutely. that there's something a little insecure 
about religions that they can't hear like a Buddha. You can't hear a line from the Buddha without thinking it's going to hijack you away from <laughs> right, 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 right. Your, your family's religion. Yeah, right, right. You know, it's it, your to family's me, religion's in trouble. Yeah, if you it, can't, <laughs> yeah. it just feels to me like good common sense. I also feel like a, a person who claims to have a spiritual yearning or longing, like to not pay attention to the words of Jesus, feels absolutely foolish. It's like yeah, right. this is golden wisdom, right? You know, and I right. still. I don't consider myself Christian, but like, man, I love Jesus. Like, I'm on board. Like, I am, I'm so into what, what that yeah. being was up to. Right, right, right. You know? Even the idea, human beings have been wrestling with these existential questions. What's the good life? How do you forgive somebody's wronged you? Yeah. How can you live with less worry? Yeah. How do you hand something meaningful to the next generation? Have been wrestling this for thousands of years. Wouldn't you want to hear the greatest hits? <laughs> yeah. Clearly, he's you know in the mean? top 10 of got people well, who were yes, saying this stuff. Right, right. Yeah. And some of it is stories. I mean, the Buddha tells a story about on a, you're on a journey through the woods, you get to a river. Yeah. And you realize, I can't get across the river. So you chop down some trees, make a raft. You use the raft to get across the river. But then when you get across the river with the raft, you don't then carry the raft as you continue on through the woods. You leave it by the side of the river right. for someone else. Right. And yes, that worked for a while, whatever it is. And then it didn't work. So you need to set it down. Um, like that's just, that, that, is, that story is so simple and so perfect mm-hmm. and so helpful. Why on earth would you ever cut yourself off from that story? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, look, it just feels like there's truth and it's there yes. and it comes in a lot of forms and it was written in a lot of different languages <laughs> yes. and it's translated now yes. and it's available to us let's <laughs> let's look at it. i'll just pop down to this quote because it it, it helped me with my jesus love it's oh, william blake nice. the it's romantic who? poet william blake oh nice yeah he said jesus christ was the only god and so am i and so are you <laughs> <laughs> i love that I really love that. Uh, that's a classic poetic move where the first... The mislead. Oh, such a good mislead. Yeah. yeah. Such a good mislead. I always think about the Jesus stories where, like he says to his disciples, you'll do greater things than these. Yeah. Like the whole world of a first century rabbi was you would call disciples who you believed could do what you do. Mm. The, all of it was about these people who you're bringing along with you. The goal is that they will then do what you're doing. And I'm I'm always baffled by that. Like I remember when I I've always been super fascinated by that quote. Where is that, by the way? What is that from? Does he say uh, it in a couple gospels? End of the Gospel of John. But so, you find it all through. It's baked into the whole rabbinic system, right? Which was all uh, these works I do, you shall do, and greater works than these. And greater. And I remember I looked that up. I just I just googled that one day a couple years ago, and I and it took me to some you know Bible website. And I was curious, like, how do, how, what's how the they fundamentalist Christian oh, read on this, right, right? Right. And it said... And what'd they say? They said, clearly Jesus isn't saying we will do greater works than Jesus. And I said, I think that's exactly what he said. Like, precisely what he said. And I don't think it's a mistranslation, you know? And, and it really, it was, it made me laugh. Because I always, I always want to, you know, I don't mean, to, I don't, I'm sure your listeners are hip and open, but I, I'm always confused about the notion of exclusive divinity being one yeah, right. man's exclusive divinity you know i love how you know R- richard Rohr's take on this is like um 
you know, this Augustinian idea that the body is sinful and wrong. And it's like, right. well, if, if Jesus is God, why would God take a body and join us if the, whole the body point was is so the goodness bad? The goodness. Of being human. Yeah. 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 And, um, and, and that the energy, what you, at the heart of the, the Christian story of incarnation and the divine and the human in the same place. So let's just, let's go with it. The divine and human in the same place. What does the divine and human in the same body do? Keeps telling everybody around him, you can do this. Here. Yeah. My peace I give to you. Yeah. Like it's this beautiful, empowering, which actually, going back to the the thing that you Googled, oftentimes the dominant Jesus interpretations were, he's the son of God and you're not. Right. He's the one who's divine, you're not. Right. Which is constantly working to keep a strong boundary between you're a frail human and he's the son of God. And yeah. He, but what's interesting about the energies of the story is the story seems to be the divine and human in the same place. And what does this mean about what it means to be human? Yeah. And what might be possible? Um, yeah. And look what this opens up. Yeah. And this is what he is doing with his disciples is you you can do this. Yeah. And then I, he leaves. Which I think is always the great, as right. far as storytelling the, the teacher, goes. It's also, the, it's, that's the a great teacher. The teacher's like, I need to leave. They make themselves obsolete. If I don't leave, you're going to continue to rest in letting me do it. But if I leave, you're going to have to step up. Yeah. And you're actually going to have to find out what you're capable of. Yeah. So, it's interesting, those websites you speak of generally seem to immediately want to relieve you of any sense that there's <laughs> yeah, more that's possible. Too, yeah. Don't get too full of yourself. Yeah, yeah. When what Jesus seems to be saying is it's it's not a boastful, aren't you awesome? It's a, yeah. yeah. The idea of the story is that you would then But it's also it. funny that there's a there's this fear of us stepping into, I guess, what you call di- your own divinity. Right. Be, th- as if it's going to be like some power drunk thing <laughs> that you're going to be like, I am a god, and you know, yeah. you're smashing everything. <laughs> what if... What it means to be a god is to be noble and kind and compassionate. Humble. And humble. <laughs> yes. Like to live with, with, with virtue that feels sacred and, and simple. Right, know? right. When we do talk about somebody who is Jesus-like, what we talk about is how uh, humble and kind and the last thing they are is sort of bloated, swaggering, <laughs> yeah, egomaniacs. Yeah. I was very affected by imitation of Christ. Is that the Thomas Akempis? Yeah, yeah, that's a thick one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I did all of it. Yeah, but I did I enough feel the same to way about feel that like book. I did enough to I have some a cocktail party conversation about it. <laughs> I did it enough to I did know enough the name of the author. Some Christians. <laughs> You go, Imitation of Christ, and I'm like, oh yeah, Temple's a Compass. Yeah, That's yeah. how much and I know neither about neither of us have really read it, <laughs> but we sound smart. That's how I feel about Meister Eckhart. I love yeah. books in which the author quotes Meister Eckhart. Yes, but have you sat down with like a proper... Every time I did, I was like, I'm just, n- I'm not this good. Yeah, but but if you if you say Meister Eckhart quotes, and you go to Goodreads, you're going to get gold. Done. Yeah. Done. I'd like somebody else to do the reading for me. Yeah. And then tell me what's good. Yeah, to compile all the quotes. <laughs> Um, By the way, I still love that you have a sheet of quotes in front of you <laughs> that you typed Listen, up. Listen, I like take it homework very seriously. <laughs> um, this is probably my favorite quote of all. Oh, no way. This is um, this Sufi mystic named Al-Ghazali uh, who says, Know, O beloved, that man was not created in jest or at random, but marvelously made and for some great end. Can we have another round of that, please? Yeah. Know, O beloved, 
that man was not created in jest or at random, but marvelously made and for some great end. That calms me down, that quote. <laughs> when did you first come, where did you first come across it? It was an article about a female Sufi, and she quoted it. She said, as, as we say in my tradition, no, O oh, beloved. And I, I, I sourced it to Al-Ghazali, who's a famous Sufi mystic. And uh, It does calm. It does, right? Yeah. I think that, you know, there's always this toggling back and forth between chaos and meaning or chaos and order. Yeah. You know, yep. And, yep. And, and, and I think we, we need to hold both on some level. It's like, yep. I heard this thing that there's varying degrees of order. So, so on the ground, let's say you're in a war and it looks like chaos. But if you pull up, you can see the battle plan. You can see where things are moving in the same way that um, I always thought of it like this way. Like if you ask a single cell, if a cell was sentient and could speak like, hey, is there any order to your life going on? Like no, a molecule inside a cell. And they're like, no, it's chaos in here. <laughs> I'm crazy. just getting knocked around. Flown around, right. But the scientists looking at the, the, the molecule in the cell right. can see all the processes. Right. Hemoglobin. Yeah, there's, a, there's yeah. a thing going on. Yeah. So it feels to me like if we hover upward, if we keep going up and up and up and up, we can see some sort of order or story that you can't see on the ground. Yes. And sometimes I think it takes people like this to say, rest easy and know that you are marvelously made and there's some great end to this, that it's not, it's not a joke. It's not random. Yeah. You know? That's very convicting. Yeah. Yeah, that's... The Sufis. They, they really did know some stuff. Know some stuff. Yeah. Isn't there a theory that the Enneagram might have originated with the Sufis? Oh, really? I yeah, we'll have to ask Richard about that. But <laughs> yeah, but I lo I just love oh, that. I just love that one. idea. You know. Um, yeah, that's a beautiful one. Yeah, here's one. Oh, I guess this is also one. Ben and I wrote a song with this very title, but Julian of Norwich, um, "All Shall Be Well" and "All Shall Be Well" mm -hmm. and "All Manner of Things Shall Be Well." This is, uh, Richard says this, he says, all, all truly prayerful people, all the people who really gave up everything in order to contact the divine, they went, when they return, they all yes. describe meeting a lover, not a dictator. Yes. Like no one comes back and they're like, you guys, it's terrible. We're in trouble. They all come back and say, all shall be well. Right. So... Right. I think uh, the hell is our own creation. You know, it's it's that I don't know, fear, anxiety, condemnation, you know, self-consciousness, whatever it is. Yeah. Um yeah. This is a good one. Robert Anton Wilson, who was kind of this comic philosopher. He was a very interesting guy, wrote novels too. You are precisely as big as what you love and precisely as small as what you allow to annoy you. <laughs> You, you are as big you as are, what you, you love. You are precisely as big as what you love and precisely as small as what you allow to annoy you. Oh, this, the, uh, this is fascinating in the, the Hebrew scriptures, all the idolatry stuff, which always sounds like, oh, that's so archaic and primitive. No, what you, in the formation of this new kind of people, the commands keep saying, if you make a statue, you'll as big, be, as, be as big as a statue. Yeah. If you worship the sun, you'll be as big as the sun. Your right. heart... 
will be roughly the size of whatever it is you give ultimate worth to. Correct. It's almost like don't worship anything with finite borders and boundaries. If it has borders and boundaries, you're in trouble. Yep. Because it will inevitably let you down because it'll promise what it can't deliver. Right. And then the other end, he says, is you're as small as whatever you let annoy you. Right. <sighs> well, it's kind That's of... That's convicting. What's it, uh, You become the God you worship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm always, you know... I look at that a lot. Like, what am I worshiping right now? Like, yeah, you know, you, it's so easy to get hijacked. It's so easy. Spiritual amnesia is such a true right. thing. Right. Like, you can study for years, and you can go on. You can do the forty day vipassana, and you can still come back and be off the rails. <laughs> you know, Heschel, um, Abraham Heschel said, "To be a Jew is to remember." Oh wow, that was one of his big lines. Yeah, was the it's it's all if as long as you don't forget. You'll be fine. It's interesting, though, how memory can be both a liberation and a curse. Yeah. Say more about that. Well, I sometimes wonder if Jews, for instance, I don't know if I'm going to get run out of town for saying this, but I, I, <laughs> I sometimes wonder if, if there's this kind of um, f- obsessive focus on past trauma mm. and past hurt and wound, you know, this kind of epigenetic or ancestral trauma that kind of gets passed down as if it's like, now you're the next generation, you got to hold this. Like things were rough for us as back in the day. As if that's the heritage to carry. Yeah. No, yeah. Whereas I, I kind of, I'm much more interested in the Judaism about, um, you know, liberation from, from enslavement. Or, yes. or you, you know, or yes. the kind yes. of Talmudic um, inquiry, like going really deep right. into right, right. Um, text and looking at things from eight different angles. Wrestling with angels is a is a Jewish concept I really yes. adore. So I sometimes wonder, you know, yeah, memory. It's like we want to honor and we want to hand we want to hand along the the right things. Well, it's what we were talking about about like Mars Hill and how I met your mother. <laughs> how much do you, you, you know, how much do we want that in our? Con- that's for other people maybe to talk about more than it is for us to talk about because we're yes. we're just doing a podcast right like that's what our life is right now <laughs> yes. is this podcast we're making the next thing yeah. yeah yeah not what we made years ago right right yeah 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 but I understand what he's saying and on some level I think Jews are have been appointed the uh, the memory keepers in a lot of ways you mm. know the people of the book you know they're the record keepers mm-hmm. it's also interesting um Richard talks about, you know, he says it is for uh, forever to the glory of the Jewish people that they that their sacred texts are um, just a litany of how horrible they were and how many mistakes they made. <laughs> yes. It's not a it's not a glorifying text. Yes. It's a and then we did. Th- can you believe they did this after seeing so many miracles <laughs> and they stopped believing and they rebelled and? Well, a lot of people say it's the one of the great gifts to human civilization. The Jewish scriptures have this tremendous capacity for self-critique, mm-hmm. which is unique in human history. Yeah. That people because normally the victors write... How we conquered the name of our gods. Yeah. And th- that the Jewish tribe introduced ruthless self-critique. Yeah, and that's was, the roles of the prophets. Which was new. Yeah. And to tell your story in terms of, look what a mess this hero made of things. Yeah. And look at how flawed she was. And look what he is... A, is an incredibly revolutionary contribution to history. And it feels to me that like the order is be on guard, walk lightly. Absolutely. That everyone can fall at yes. any moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And finishing well is like really, really rare. I could have done a whole thing on 
Richards quotes because I'm a Richard Rohr <laughs> acolyte. But he says, this is not off topic. He says, there are two ways of being a prophet. Have you heard this? Mm-mm. I love this. There are two ways of being a prophet. One is to tell the enslaved that they can be free. It is the difficult path of Moses. The second is to tell those who think they are free that they are in fact enslaved. This is the even more difficult path of Jesus. Come on, Richard. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Oh, man. That just needs some silence around it. That's so good. And you have more. <laughs> yeah, I have so many more. <laughs> Are we print, over? You need to printer, cut me off for a part Is your printer two? not in peak form there? I think I need to clean the printer heads because uh, luckily I know these, but it, we'll, have, <laughs> we'll have to include a shot of this for the website. Okay. This is just a one that I really, I just love when I'm in some sort of anxious state. It's just a, I don't know who this is attributed to. Sometimes God calms the storm. Sometimes God calms the sailor. We don't know who that's from? No. I think it's just a unknown kind of, maybe it's a nautical quote. <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, this next one is Swami Shivananda, who was a great 20th century Indian guru, who says, there is only one caste the caste of humanity. There is only one religion, the religion of love. There is only one commandment, the commandment of truthfulness. There is only one law, the law of cause and effect. There is only one God, the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient Lord. There is only one language, the language of the heart or the language of silence. That's so good. After you say there's only one language, a language of silence, you're like, who's going to be the first to talk after <laughs> right, that? Right. I guess we got to be quiet. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> mm. I, I love how uh, in information architecture, they talk about the assembling of old information creates new information. Oh, yeah. How you arrange all these quotes on a sheet of paper and yet all together they become something it's like a it's like a it's like a picture a snapshot of you of josh radner at some level well it's also like what you respond to and how you yes what you what you say hey this means something to me yeah you are revealing yourself absolutely you know absolutely there's one that is to um blurred for me to read (laughs) but i think it's a serbian proverb or something i didn't think we'd get through this many of these but this is oh yeah um be humble because you are made of mud be noble because you are made of the stars oh i love that yeah i love that that's kind of it reminds me of there's a i don't know if this from the kabbalah or the talmud but it's it says we should carry we should have two pockets and oh yeah one, right the right the one pocket one pocket i am nothing no i i am i come from dust i i'm ashes to ashes and dust to dust and then the, the other, other pocket, is the world was created for me and me alone good. yes <laughs> yeah. yeah i think i've done that on the podcast yeah the one in each pocket yeah but I that's, that's an that's another thing about spirituality that i find like you got to get an appetite for paradox 
Absolutely. You got to get an appetite for this is true and also not true. Yes. And that's why literalism and fundamentalism is such a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that Richard talks about that lit, a literal reading of scri uh, sacred scriptures l yields the least fruitful meaning. Yes. It's going to yes. give you the least yes. amount. And I'll notice, I notice this in Q&As when people will ask a question that they are coming into it as a binary. Yeah. I need to know if it's this or this. And then they start to bump up against the tr actually the truth. Yeah. And if it's true, there'll be some element of paradox is a good general operative rule. Yeah. The known and unknown. You're yeah. stepping forward and you're stepping back. You're engaging in discontinuation. Exhale, inhale. The whole thing yeah. has these two things at the same time. Yeah. It's one of the ways you know you're onto it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you're as big as the universe and you're, you're a nothing. frail, you're featherless bar biped who could be gone tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. It's the F. Scott Fitzgerald thing of, you know, the the... The mark of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposing ideas in your head without going insane. Yes. Kind of. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's a good. That's that's good. That's funny that the two pockets thing. When I first heard that, I thought that was when I was first studying Hebraic thinking and came across two pieces of paper, one in each pocket. Yeah. The universe was made for me, and I come from dust. Or... Did you feel? Uh, like when you when you went did a deep dive into Hebrew scriptures, like did did you did you feel somehow like I like home? It was a missing link, like like it was home, really. Yeah, because I went when I went to seminary. Well, here's a classic example. I was when I was in seminary, I studied with this very well known British theologian who had written a systematic theology, which would be like seven hardcover books that would take up like a whole shelf. Yeah, and I remember going to his class in one day is probably a it was probably a Thursday in March on a Tuesday afternoon when in the middle of a lecture he said out of nowhere Roman numeral four and I remember just being like oh dear God there were three others <laughs> like realizing that he was doing some sort of Roman numeral one two three four there was some grand outline that was months long that he was working through uh. And all of a sudden, for the first time, I picked up that there was a... Apparently, now we're in Roman numeral four. It was just a way of thinking about these things. Right. This systematic, analytic, A, B, C, D, that it felt to me like they were pinning the butterfly down so that you could perfectly study the butterfly's wings. But in pinning the butterfly to the board, the moment at which you could best study the butterfly, it was the moment at which the butterfly couldn't fly. Right, so right. That, I, it just... None of it... Um, and the idea that there was a passage, you were exegeting a passage. You were pulling the meaning out of a passage because there was a meaning of a biblical passage. Right. And then I, I fell in to the Jewish, like we call them the Jewish roots or the Hebraic roots uh -huh. of my own tradition. And suddenly, like the Midrash, yeah. the, the circling the text and making up lines of dialogue to... You're dancing with it. You're wrestling with it. You're asking it questions. It's asking you. It's you're reading it. It's reading you. Yeah. Uh, it was like coming home. Well, that's what I told you after I read what is the Bible. I said you're such a good Jew. 
<laughs> you know what it feels like to me? It feels it's like... It's funny in this podcast, you're it, telling me how much you love Jesus and what a good Jew I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My parents will be thrilled. <laughs> There's, um, it feels to me like the, the thing about literalism and fundamentalism, it's a kind of idolatry. Because Absolutely. it freezes that which is alive and ever replenishing and nourishing and growing. Yep. Like, like, I always think of God as just like... You can't catch it. It's just going to be, it's, you know, it's pulsing. It's constantly in motion. And it's it's looking for a, a place to work through. Absolutely. Uh, humans, you know, it's working Absolutely. through the trees. It's doing all of that. And when we say, no, 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 no. God dropped in once 2,000 years ago, said these things, and they're frozen for all eternity. And then left. And then left. And may come here from time to time if you're good. Right. Or maybe not. Right. It's like, you know, Richard says, it's, 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 it's as if divinity hadn't been at work until, you know, Bethlehem right. and Nazareth right, right, and right, right. Jerusalem. And then you have quantum physicists who start taking apart atoms and discover they're made of particles, which are bits of energy that are in relationship, and the whole thing is actually energy in relationship. Yeah. That you're, anything static, fixed, or sort of wooden, that's all an illusion. Right. A chair and, is an illusion of chairness. And it feels to me like when you're saying... Align your life with spirit. An easier way to say that is align your life with that which is in motion. Yes. That which is moving, yeah. growing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. changing, shedding the old, stepping into the new, going into the unknown. You know? Yes. That's yes. where you'll find the good, juicy stuff that you're Absolutely. looking for. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. There's this great interview in Scorsese's um, movie about Bob Dylan, No Direction Home. Yeah. Where he's being interviewed by the British press. And they're all in suits and ties, and he's up front. And they're like, Bob Dylan, since when, when did you start decide to stop writing protest songs? And he's like, who said I was ever writing protest songs? Right. Why do you, and they're like, why do you think the youth find your songs appealing? And what's so interesting about the interview is they're like, here are the categories. Right. Are Step you, into them. And Dylan is like, he's like a Adams in motion. Yeah. He's like just... He's breezing. He's not who he was a minute ago, and he's not who he'll be in a minute. Yes. And I remember watching that film and finally understanding, oh, the, the whole, it was like, it's so stark in that film, and it's so perfectly captured. Like, he's here. Yeah. But the thing is inevitably going to keep morphing and transforming and changing and yeah. doing its, the river's going to keep flowing down he the side was like, of the mountain. I, I think he was saying like, no, 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 you will not rob me of the right to be a human. Right. Who is alive. Right. And right. I, I, I actually really liked the Todd Haynes film about Dylan where he cast like five different yes, actors. Exactly. Because I thought what he was getting at was like, he's just, you, he's yes. nothing and everything. Yes. You know? Which is what everybody, you think about how many times somebody loses their job and then it, it or gets transferred and suddenly the little plaque outside the door is now different and it's causing an existential sense of upheaval and who am I in a crisis right. when you were always flowing right? and you were that and now apparently you've been relieved of that yeah, or it's been taken away or you shed it because now you're going to be this and the, dyna the dynamism beneath it all, that's where the light it's is. It's kind of, it's, it's Thomas Merton's, you know, true self and false self. Yes. Like we're, or what David Brooks talked about, I love this and I think he got this from a rabbi but the, um, in The Road to Character, his book, he talks about uh, resume virtues versus eulogy virtues. Oh, that's right. I've heard about that. Yeah. Like what is on, what, you know, resume is like, 
what you've accomplished. What you've accomplished. This is what gives you status and you know in yeah. the world. And this is why people love you and will hire you and right. want to be with you. And the eulogy virtues is like, was were you a good friend? Were you kind? Were you charitable? Did you show up when people needed you? Yes. That's what people talk, you know. Yes. So I always try to, you know, eulogy is base and resume is treble. Absolutely. So, but also, you know, this notion of true and false self, like I, I sometimes feel like spirit or universe or God, I have no idea what to call it, but it's engaged in this process of shaking us out of false self. Absolutely. And it's sometimes, if you don't go along with the program, it will sometimes look dramatic and slightly violent. It's like, um, you know, in the Vedas, they talk about three operating principles at all times. There's Brahma, which is creation, Vishnu, which is maintenance, and Shiva, which is destruction. Just, and Shiva's not like a devil or a demon. Shiva's right? like, it's the natural process of like decay or even like digestion in the body. Like, the disruption that tells you something new is coming. Exactly. So and it clears thing. away the old. <sighs> And to, to get aligned with that process, like say, okay, that's what's happening rather than... Yeah. Uh, right. It's to wel- Shiva, to welcome Shiva in. Yeah. Okay, apparently something's being taken apart. Yeah. Apparently something's going to be shed. We're or, leaving it or behind. What I learned is if you get too static, if you have too much maintenance and not enough creation, Shiva will come in. And if you have creation in the primary position and then you maintain what needs to be maintained because it's good and healthy and stable, then... Shiva just works kind of naturally and clears away irrelevancies. But if you if you get too comfy and you get too stable, it'll attract some destruction to you. You know, cuz it but it's always in the trying to get you back on the path of creation and newness and 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 Brahma. I love that. See, that's so you and I that's also Trinity. Yes. That's the three Absolutely. those are the three dyna, you know what is a what's happening? Oh. oh man. Um <laughs> Richard talks about, you know, two is two is dualistic and three is dynamic. Yes. You know, that, yes, that there's right. something about three, it's such a holy yeah. number. As soon as you move from two to three, you've moved from the standard is it this or is it this to the interplay. Yeah. And so there's that's all across the ages, the move from two to three is a big one. Yeah. It takes you it elevates everything. Yeah, yeah. Man, did we get through all your quotes? Not really. I mean, I have a couple uh, more. There's I something can just, with him. He just wants want, to make sure we got all your quotes. You want to ro- motor through them? Hold on. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is so enjoyable to me. This just makes me laugh, this Terrence McKenna quote. He says, the main thing to understand is that we are imprisoned in some kind of work of art. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah. way. Yeah. The main thing to, to understand... understand. Is that we are Terrence imprisoned McKenna in some, some sort of work, work of, of art? Some kind he of work was of this. Art. Pete Holmes loves Terrence. Yeah, McKenna. just just yeah. Talk, you could talk with Pete all day long Our about friend. Terrence McKenna. By the he, way, Kristen's he, in the back house. Oh yeah, everybody. That's who Josh she's is been talking here to the right whole now. Time just in case you're. We love having her here. Wondering who Josh is aside with. Yeah, um, Pete Holmes does love. He's a, he's a, he was an ethnobotanist and uh, he did a lot of like psychedelic. He was mostly known for like mushrooms and stuff like that. But he was wildly articulate and terrifically strange. And anyone who wants like to lose an afternoon, just YouTube Terrence McKenna and just watch a bunch of videos. I've got heard this that very, his YouTube videos are very strange speaking voice, very hypnotic. But he was yeah. he was singularly articulate in a very strange. That's one of my favorite quotes way. ever. That the were imprisoned. Favorite in a work one of, art. of the day. And that's one of my favorite quotes. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I wouldn't have picked that as your favorite. Other favorite quote of mine, by the way, as long as we're doing this. Years ago, early 20s, Gary Shanley was interviewed and he told about a car accident where he got pinned between two cars. Yeah. 
And he says that he had like a near-death experience in which he died and he was asked, do you want to continue being Gary Shandling? Whoa. And he said, yes. And he woke back up and he was alive. Wow. And continued on with his life. Those NDEs, those near-death experiences, they're, they're, they have, they're, they're common. And they, they, a lot of times they have similar <laughs> things, you know, like yes. different stories from across cultures. Man, that thing, do I want to continue being Rob Bell? Yes. For today. I do. Yeah. All right, then. Yeah. What does that entail? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Man. Okay. Um, since, we're on, since we're in the psychedelic zone, this is a Carlos Castaneda quote. Where he says we can either we either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves happy, the amount of work is the same. Oh, wow. isn't that good? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, that mirrors to me that we're the creation of hell or the creation of heaven, yeah. states of consciousness. Yeah, like if there's a, if you're in a hell, it's because you made it. You know how when 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 someone comes to you and they're in like they're in a deep grievance or they've yeah. got like a re- they got their story and it's so good they're clinging to and it and it's so juicy and they're so and they're not going to budge from it and you can see that there's massive effort going in oh. behind them holding on to that story nursing that story and I think sometimes when we're angry or in resentment or um, feeling kind of, it, you tend to feel victimized and you feel like something's just happening to you as if you have no part or participation right. in it. Right. But I do, I really dig on this quote because it, it's really like, man, misery takes a lot of effort and a lot of work, just as much as happiness. I mean, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I don't know if it's 50, you know, right. I don't know. What the data is? I don't know what the data is. I do know that. Uh, a negative thought clings to our our brain quicker than a positive thought, like a, like a self defeating or self loathing thought is like Velcro in our consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. Well, David Kessler, sort of one of the world experts, he's like a world expert on grief, like one of the top yeah. people on death and dying and grief. He did a po- everybody. I'd recommend this podcast by the way. David Kessler does this thing on how pain and suffering are two different things. Yeah, pain is the thing that happened to you suffering is what your mind did with it. Yeah. The Buddha says pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff that you are calling suffering. Yeah. There, yeah. Truly something traumatic or awful or violating happened to you. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But suffering is what you chose to do with that. Yeah. And Oof. you don't have to do much with it if you don't want to. Yeah. <sighs> it's, it's, it's startling for people to realize they have a choice in that. Absolutely. That's that's an interesting, absolutely yeah. Ben Ben Lee, who I who I make music Radner with. and Lee Radner and Lee, you guys are coming tonight. We are coming tonight. Yeah, um, he told me when we were in Brazil because we toured Brazil. He told me when we were in Brazil that he <laughs> has trained himself to wake up in the morning and be excited about what the day holds. <laughs> His first it. thought is, "I'm so excited for today." And he said he's trained himself to do this. And he said, even if I check email and drink coffee, I'm excited what the emails <laughs> might hold. And he said, I, most people don't realize that you can curate your thoughts. You can actually choose and nourish and water That's really good. the things that you want. Absolutely. You know? um, these next ones are a little, these are just creative. These are like, as a, as a storyteller, as an artist. These oh, are, tonight when I see Ben Lee? I'm going to introduce myself. I'm going to say I'm Josh's friend, and I woke up this morning excited because I was going to come see Radner and Lee. We'll see tonight. if he gets it. I don't know. 
Uh, this is a Flaubert quote, which, which I think is terrific. Absolutely love Flaubert. Is this uh, the discipline to be yes. violent? Be regular and orderly oh, in your I life. Oh, I love this quote. Do so it. that you may be violent and original in your work. Oh, I had that up on my wall for a couple of years. It's fantastic. That's a, that's a terrific one. Yeah. Um, this is a, a bit of a longer one. I'll just, um, this is David Foster Wallace. Um, he says, look, man. <laughs> <laughs> We'd probably, most of us, agree that these are dark times and stupid ones. But do we need fiction that does nothing but dramatize how dark and stupid everything is? In dark times, the definition of good art would seem to be art that locates and applies CPR to those elements of what's human and magical that still live and glow despite the time's darkness. Really good fiction could have as dark a worldview as it wished, but it'd find a way both to depict this world and to illuminate the possibilities for being alive and human in it. How great is that? I need it again. It's so good, I need it again. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. Look, man. <laughs> <laughs> We'd probably, most of us, agree that these are dark times and stupid ones, but do we need fiction that does nothing but dramatize how dark and stupid everything is? In dark times, the definition of good art would seem to be art that locates and applies CPR to those elements of what's human and magical that still live and glow despite the time's darkness. Really good fiction could have as dark a worldview as it wished, but it'd find a way both to depict this world and to illuminate the possibilities for being alive and human in it. I have really metabolized this as a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Because I, it is so, it's not an incisive statement to say these are dark, horrible times. It's yeah. just, it's not that interesting. It's like, I, yes, that is a given. What's really hard is to what he says, you know, locate, you know, give CPR to these. I love that, just that idea of like giving oxygen right. to something that right. is that is always right. within us, but it's dormant. Yeah. And it's kind of revolutionary to, you know, I, my first film was called Happy Thank You More Please, which is, which is a real title of, of a statement of something, you know, that it's a prayer, essentially. And mm -hmm. I think I, you know, I put myself on the line because it was, it's an open statement, you know. I read this thing, this was one of the quotes I didn't pick, but it's great anyway. It says, Sentiment people accuse you of sentimentality when they don't share that sentiment. <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And I just, I've always felt like a responsibility to, you know, you can, you can show the darkness, but at least hold out some possibility of transformation. Some possibility that, you know, it's the campfire rule, like leave it better than you found it. I always think about that with my characters. Like leave them better than you found them. You know? Yeah. Um, oh, that's great. That's really great. This is an Isaac Dennison quote. I think that's how you pronounce this. All sorrows can be born if you put them in a story or tell a story about them. I love that. I love that idea. Like, let we'll tell a story of this or this. That, that gives me some oxygen in dark moments. Like, I will be able to tell of this one day when I survive it. Yes. And it will be a great story. Yes. And it will make sense when I tell a story about it. Yes. The whole the tour I'm doing right now, the Holy Shift tour. Yeah. The whole Holy Shift is getting better at even in the midst of the mess. You're trying to build up the muscle so that even in the midst of it, you're already smiling, thinking this story is gonna kill yeah. down the road. Yeah. Like you're already when when you can give context and meaning to things, yes. that's where I think the world becomes 
electrified and illuminated in a different way. Absolutely. Because otherwise you feel like the molecule that's getting kicked around. Yeah. But if you can be the scientist and say, no, 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 I'll tell you what's happening inside this cell. There's a process and it's fascinating. Yeah. You know? Um, I guess we'll end on this, this Howard Thurman quote. He's a theologian, right? Howard Thurman, have you heard of him? Who is that? American, I don't know, but this great quote. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. <laughs> yes, I, that's a good one. Yeah. I don't know where I've heard that. That's, a, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. Kristen, I just want to say again on the record that this tea is terrific. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen, when Josh comes over, makes this Trader Joe's turmeric. Ginger turmeric. Ginger turmeric To me, it's tea. not Trader Joe's. It's like... She went up to a mountain you and she harvested it. It's so funny it's that delicious. you think it's amazing, and it's the most probably readily accessible tea. For some reason, I'm like, it is amazing. I can't get this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you have a dealer? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I think. It's like a golden powder that she sprinkles into my tea. Oh, my word. This is a good episode. You like it? That was great. All right. I had a great time. Listen, I'm so excited that we're friends and that we have this ongoing dialogue. Isn't it wonderful? It really is. You, I'm already looking forward to the next time when either you bring around another round of quotes. <laughs> I can see I this could is do. a recurring podcast, yeah. Robcast, or um, your burgeoning theory that my Mars your Hill Mars was Hill your how, how I, I met, met your, your mother. mother. That's a good cliffhanger because I think people might be interested in that. That's a real we meeting a, of worlds. And we have a lot to say about all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that future episode. We're gonna. We're, we might need to provide like, uh, like visual aids because I feel like this needs to be like pie charted and graphed. <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, that is funny. Oh, and you do have a new TV show. I, should I do. It's called Rise. It's on NBC on Tuesdays at nine, and I and I think it's terrific. And it's certainly, I think, applying a little CPR to those Wonderful. elements of us that that are maybe needing a little more attention, and Absolutely that's why wonderful. I signed up for it. And, you know, if anyone wants to check out Radner and Lee, we're streaming everywhere. We got a new album we're recording in June after we get back from our Australian tour. And may, Oh, that's so great. And may I recommend their song, And So We Shall Dance? Uh, still Though We Should Dance. And still Though We Should Dance. Yeah, we're doing that tonight. And we have the solo, Sam Shelton, uh, who did the recording. Just for me. I love it. Thank yeah, you. I appreciate that. She'll be that. there tonight. They write some songs, my friends. Oh, Thanks, this was great. Ladies and gentlemen, our beloved friend, and now yours, Josh Radner. Grace and peace, everybody.